0: What's up, everybody? This is Esoteric Eddie. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace. Moloch is a deity often associated with child sacrifice, whom various elite groups worldwide have worshipped, as some have claimed. Many scholars have studied the enigma of the supposed worship of Moloch for decades and have concluded numerous statements on the issue. Moloch was depicted as a bull-like deity represented in statue and altar-like form to which different Canaanite cultures brought forth human sacrifices. The Bible speaks dramatically about these sacrifices and condemns the deity. But was Moloch really worshipped in the past? We know that in the ancient world, especially among the Canaanites, Phoenicians, and Carthaginians, the practice of human sacrifice was rampant. We have textual evidence from prominent ancient writers of ancient human sacrifice. The 4th century BC Greek writer Clytarchus said of Carthage that There stands in their midst a bronze statue of Cronos, its hands extended over a bronze brazier. The flames of which engulf the child. When the flames fall upon the body, the limbs contract, and the open mouth seems to almost be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier. The Greek historian Diodorus Siculus also wrote about human sacrifice in his Bibliotheca Historica, written in the first century BC. He described the practice of child sacrifice, writing, There was in their city a bronze statue of Cronus, extending its hands, palms up, and sloping toward the ground, so that each of the children, when placed thereon, rolled down and fell into a sort of gaping pit filled with fire. The condemnation of child sacrifice can also be found in early Christian authors such as Tertullian, who wrote in the second century CE. In his famous treatise the Apology of Tertullian. He details how many cultures in his time had gruesome practices of human sacrifice and self-abuse to the gods. Among these cultures there were practices of child sacrifice among the Carthaginians of North Africa. These children, however, Tertullian writes, were sacrificed to Saturn. Although none of these accounts mention Moloch, scholars have correlated the gods these people sacrificed to as renditions of Moloch, or vice versa. For example, Robert Pashley, a 19th century traveler and writer, spent some time in Crete, where he learned about ancient traditions of human sacrifice. In his work, titled Travels in Crete, he writes, The traditions respecting Talos would alone lead us to suppose that Crete, once possessed as its chief deity, a Moloch, horrid king, besmeared with the blood of human sacrifice, and parents' tears. The origins of Moloch are complex. It is believed that the worship of Moloch originated from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were ancient Semitic people who inhabited Canaan, corresponding to present day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, and parts of Jordan and Syria. According to archaeological evidence, The Canaanites emerged as a distinct culture around the 4th millennium BC. The Canaanite city-states such as Ugarit, Byblos, and Sidon played a significant role in maritime trade and cultural exchange throughout the eastern Mediterranean. Canaan and the Canaanites at times are seen as general terms for the people of the Levant during the 2nd millennium BC. This general area and people included the early Israelites. Among these ancient people of the Levant were the Phoenicians. The ancient Phoenicians were a prominent civilization of seafarers and traders who thrived in the eastern Mediterranean from approximately 1500 BC to 300 BC. They were renowned for their maritime expertise and commercial influence. They established numerous city-states which served as important cultural and economic centers of the ancient world. Their mastery of shipbuilding and navigation facilitated extensive trade networks across the Mediterranean. The worship of Moloch, however, was mainly blamed on the Carthaginians. The Carthaginians were a powerful civilization with colonies in several parts of the Mediterranean. The Canaanites were polytheistic. They worshipped several gods and goddesses. Two in particular were the deities Tanit. In Balhaman, in the early 1920s, French archaeologists uncovered remains of a Carthaginian sacrificial site to these gods, containing areas with up to 20,000 burned infant bones inside jars. Among the infants were animal remains and some jars with inscriptions stating "substitute." Researchers also found that over half of the remains were of babies about two months old, leading us to believe. These children were chosen for ritual sacrifice. Sites such as the one found by the French archaeologists are known as tophets, the now general term for Canaanite sites of human sacrifice. Nine Phoenician tophets have been found in the western Mediterranean, three in North Africa, two in Sicily, and four in Sardinia. Although many scholars have debated whether these infant remains resulted from child sacrifice or simply dedicated burials for those who died during infancy, the evidence points towards sacrifice. In a thorough thesis paper by Caitlin de Benedetto, we learn that various scientific analyses have gone into the remains to determine whether they were explicitly burned for ritual purposes or buried for funeral purposes. Several scientists groups took the remaining teeth and bone samples to decide whether the buried babies experienced severe and prolonged burning. De Benedetto states that, when bones and teeth are exposed to fire, they undergo a consistent pattern of color change with increases in temperature. These changes are associated with differential shrinkage resulting in fracturing and warping as the organic matrix of the bones is burnt away. At Carthage, 87% of the cremated bones and teeth were colored whitish-blue to chalky white, indicating temperatures above 700 degrees Celsius. The study found that ages ranged from one month to four years with 84% aged less than six months. We have also found precious amulets and goods mixed in with the remains, indicating ritual offerings. We have also found inscriptions on some of the jars at some of the tofets, blatantly stating that royal families sacrificed the burned humans. In one such case, we found an inscription reading, To Sire Baal Haman, Lord of the Sky. I have dedicated Aris, son of Hannah, because you have heard my voice. With all this evidence, De Benedetto concludes that, through examination of the skeletal evidence, the presence of lavish grave goods and the inscriptions, the tophet at Carthage does indeed suggest that the Phoenicians did practice child sacrifice. Although there was apparent child sacrifice among the Canaanites, none of the evidence so far points to it being done in the name of Moloch. The connection and origin of Moloch to these sacrifices is shrouded in mystery and debated among scholars. By far, the only evidence of a deity named Moloch can be found in the Bible. The origin of the Moloch problem begins within the Old Testament. Ancient Israel and a cursed valley. The valley of the Son of Hinnom, also known as Gehenna, a valley just south of Jerusalem, holds great significance in ancient Israel. The valley is mentioned numerous times in the Hebrew Bible and was associated with the worship of Moloch. The association of the valley of the Son of Hinnom with Moloch worship led to the valley becoming a symbol of judgment and punishment. The valley is frequently used in Christian teachings in correlation to hell or eternal punishment. Today, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom is a popular tourist destination known for its stunning views of Jerusalem. However, its history as a site of religious significance and association with Moloch serves as a reminder of the complex and often controversial nature of the ancient religions of the Middle East. The worship of Moloch is mentioned several times in the Bible. In Leviticus twenty two through five, the Bible prohibits the worship of Moloch and states that those who sacrifice their children to Moloch should be put to death. In First Kings eleven five through eight, it is mentioned that King Solomon worshipped Moloch, leading to his reign's downfall. Jeremiah thirty two thirty five says that the people of Judah and Jerusalem sacrificed their children to Moloch, which led to their downfall. In Ezekiel 20.25-26, it is mentioned that the Israelites were punished for worshipping Moloch among other gods. Despite the many claims of Moloch being a prominent figure of sacrificial worship, there are no known mentions of Moloch or archaeological evidence of his statues outside of the Bible. The debate about the existence of an ancient cult of Moloch centers around the confusing Hebrew word and letters, MLK. When put together, these letters form the root word for Moloch. Like all words in Hebrew, there are no vowels in Molk, the Hebrew word that is translated into Moloch. And because there are no vowels, Hebrew root words can be interpreted differently depending on context. This root word, meaning Moloch, can also be construed as Melek, Malik, and Milkom, of which all can be interpreted as royal titles. For example, the title given to Jesus as the King of Kings would be read in Hebrew as Melech Malkai Ha Melakim. T. E. Colebrook expands on the ancient usage of Malik as ruler in his book on imperial and other titles. In it. He states that the famous Saladin bore the title of Sultan as well as a Malik. His full title, as it appears on his coins, runs the Malik, the defender of the faith. The prominent correlation with Moloch as a deity whom the ancient people of the Levant practiced child sacrifice comes from the Bible's condemnation of the Ammonites. The Ammonites were strangely descended from a disgraced and incestuous line between Lot, the nephew of Abraham, and his younger daughter. The Ammonites were sons of Ammon, were a tribe from the city of Ammon in Jordan. They were a seemingly fierce tribe as we are told in the Bible. They went up against Israel in various battles. They eventually assimilated into Israel during the reign of King Solomon. This mingling of cultures later led to Solomon's downfall and the condemnation of the Israelites' practice of polytheism and human sacrifice. The earliest evidence of their culture comes from the 9th century BC. The earliest evidence is an inscription known as the Ammon Citadel Inscription, found in 1961. The text comprises 33 words which concern some building instructions from their god, Milcom. Along with this text, we have found at least two seals in the Amman area, bearing theophoric names to Milcom, belonging to a couple of kings. One from the 5th century BC, found in Tal al-Mazar, bears the name Milcomyat, meaning May Milcom come. Here, it is further substantiated that the Ammonites never worshipped a god named Moloch, but rather Milcom. Furthermore. The Bible never used the name Moloch. It used the name Molech. Moloch is a Greek rendition of Molech. This is shown in Leviticus 18:21, "And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God." And even here, the term Molech was a clever degradation of the Ammonite god Milcom. Milcom generally meant Their king or our king, which in Hebrew was Malek. The Torah writers didn't want to correlate Yahweh, their Malek, with the Malek of the Ammonites. The Israelites distorted the Ammonite title to Molech, inserting, as some scholars have pointed out, the same O pronunciation from the Hebrew word Boseth, meaning shame, thus creating the word Molech. The situation is complex and further deepened by the fact. That some scholars have questioned whether Mulk or Moloch was referring to a deity at all. Some believe that the Israelites and ancient Canaanites referred to a type of sacrifice known as a Mulk or Moloch. Among the finds at the various tophets, we have found inscriptions bearing categories of what type of sacrifice was offered. As Benedetto pointed out in her thesis paper, the word Mulk was found. Followed by either of the three of the various types, Benedetto explains that the first type is mokmor, which refers to the sacrifice of a lamb or kid as a substitute offering for a child. The second is mok Baal, which refers to the sacrifice of a Baal, the child of an estate- owning or wealthy mercantile family. The final type Not found at Carthage is Mulk Adam, which refers to the sacrifice of a commoner. The idea that Mulk refers to a type of offering and not a deity stems from the early 20th century German writer Otto Eisfeld. Eisfeld, like other scholars over the decades, realized that the Levantine term Mulk was not isolated to just the Israelite culture. We have found usages of the word mulk in other ancient Punic and Mediterranean texts. Among these texts, we have the 3rd century B.C. Nebi Yunus inscription. In this example, we read that a mulk was offered to a deity named Eshum. Therefore, with evidence such as these, Eisfeld and others have concluded that the Bible's references to people sacrificing their children to mulk should be read as them sacrificing their children as a mulk. A specific burnt offering. Eisfeld also postulated that the context was changed to disassociate Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, from this form of worship. He believed that Yahweh, too, received mulk sacrifices in ancient times. By creating an archetypal God based around this sacrificial worship, the Israelites were placing the disturbing and embarrassing act onto the Canaanites, partly covering up the fact that their people. Also, once worshipped Yahweh in such a manner. Eisfeld was one of many over the decades who argued for this interpretation. Some scholars have pointed out a particular section in the Bible that may reveal a reflection of the ancient Israelite mulk sacrifices to Yahweh. This section is Zephaniah 1 5b. Zephaniah 1 is a prophecy about God's judgment upon sinful people. In 1b, God declares punishment of a particular set of people who swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. This strange declaration has led to many scholars interpreting the last part as people who worship Yahweh and other gods simultaneously. As we've learned, mulk can also be interpreted as a type of offering, so we may read that Yahweh and, subsequently, the Torah writers were outlawing Yahweh's worship through child sacrifice. The sentence structure strangely ends with, and that swear by mulk. Some scholars have concluded that swearing by mulk is evidence of people worshipping Yahweh through certain ritual child sacrifice. The verse then should be read adequately as God punishing those who swear by the Lord and that swear through mulk child sacrificing. This indicates that, at some point, the early Israelites were practicing child sacrifice. The Bible reflects this in the critical episode between Abraham and his son Isaac. In Genesis 22-2, we are told that God commanded Abraham to Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Here, Yahweh is directly demanding Abraham to perform a mulk sacrifice. This story may give us a glimpse into the cultural worldview of the Torah writers. As many historians of the following eras have testified, child sacrifice was common practice during the time of the early Israelites. Human sacrifice for divine reward, in particular, was widespread. This scene seems horrific and out of touch with the modern idea of God. However, mulk sacrifices were seen as normal in those times. It wasn't until later in the Bible and history that this practice was vehemently dissociated from Yahweh and the Israelites. The Israelites were a burgeoning sect of Canaanites who shared similar cultural traits to the former polytheists of the Levant. Some would even say that their tribal god Yahweh was a rendition of the Canaanite god El. The Bible also reflects this within Exodus 6.2, when God says to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. Here, God and the authors of the Torah correlate Yahweh with El, the supreme being among the Canaanite pantheons. As Mark S. Smith puts it in his extensive work titled, The early history of God, Yahweh, and other deities in ancient Israel. In the city of Shechem, the local god was El of the Covenant, the God of Israel, and is presumed to be Yahweh. In this case, a process of reinterpretation appears to be at work. In the early history of Israel, when the cult of Shechem became Yahwistic, it inherited and continued the El traditions of that site. Hence, Yahweh received the title, El of the Covenant. This record illustrates up to a point how Canaanite slash Israelite traditions were transmitted. Israelite knowledge of the religious traditions of other deities was not due only to contact between Israel and its Phoenician neighbors in the Iron Age, rather as a function of the identification of Yahweh and El at cultic sites of El such as Shechem and Jerusalem. The old religious lore of a deity such as El was inherited by the Yahwistic priesthood in Israel. This is just one of many instances in which we find apparent assimilation of the ancient Canaanite culture into the newly founded Yahweh cult of the Israelites. Dr. William G. Dever Professor of Near Eastern Archaeology and Anthropology at the University of Arizona, affirms in his book, Who Were the Early Israelites and Where Did They Come From, that the Israelite religion, as it emerged in the Iron Age, incorporated elements of Canaanite religious traditions, such as the veneration of Yahweh, the belief in a divine covenant, and the use of ritual objects like altars and standing stones. Dr. Aaron D. Rubin, Professor of Classics and Ancient Mediterranean Studies at Penn State University explains throughout his various works that the Canaanite alphabet, which later evolved into the Phoenician and ultimately the Hebrew alphabet, played a crucial role in the development of written communication and the preservation of ancient texts. In his essay, The Semitic Language Family, he states Hebrew is the only Canaanite language still in use. Mark S. Smith presents that the early Israelites were ethnically and culturally indistinguishable from the general Canaanites. Thus, the importance that the Canaanites had on Judaic culture was tantamount, and this explains why there are so many resemblances to the former in early Israelite culture. If Yahweh and El are the same, then the mulk sacrifices performed by former tribes were invariably being made to Yahweh. And this is why. We are told in Zephaniah 5.1b that this practice should be stopped. The Ammonites, who apparently revered Milcom and who, in the Bible, were primarily blamed for worshipping Moloch, as scholars noted, also worshipped El. Even further than this, it is generally concluded that Milcom was simply a title for the Ammonite god El. In Craig W. Tyson's thorough paper titled The Religion of the Ammonites, it is understood that among Ammonite texts, the name El is used far more than Milcom, and their kings frequently took on theophoric names attributed to El, while never taking on names containing reverence for Milcom. It appears El was indeed the father of the gods in the ancient Levant, from whom all the later tribal gods, such as Yahweh, received their attributes and mythology. Furthermore. El was frequently referred to as the bull of heaven in a Ugaritic text known as KTU 1.2 in verses 13 through 18 we are told straight away turn ye your faces towards the assembly of the convocation at the feet of El do you indeed make obeisance unto the bull my father El give up o gods in genesis 49:25 Yahweh, or El Shaddai, is called the Bull of Jacob, and as Smith also mentions, the old northern tradition of bull iconography for Yahweh is reflected in the name Gliu, which may be translated, Young Bull is Yah. The association with gods and a divine bull can be traced back to ancient Mesopotamia. There, we find statues of the human-headed bulls and texts Referring to the Anunnaki gods as such. In a text titled The Debate Between Winter and Summer, we read that Enlil set his foot upon the earth like a great bull, Enlil, the king of all lands. Thus, the bull imagery was integral to the archetype of God and the gods. This is intriguing because the bull or horned beast is precisely what the ancient Levantines sacrificed their children to. There must have been a complex mixture of archetypes and religious fervor blending the many beliefs. After looking at all these seemingly separate subjects, it becomes apparent that as the Levantine cultures progressed and became more refined, the older polytheistic religions and fanatical traditions halted and were outcasted by the monotheistic religion of the nascent Israelites. The ancient people of Mesopotamia and parts of the Mediterranean Used to sacrifice children to their gods, possibly El, in the form of the horned bull. This bull imagery was used across various cultures. In Pozo Moro, Spain, scholars found a stone monument dating to the early 5th century BC that also depicts a bull like deity to whom sacrifice was conducted. John S. Rudin describes the depiction in his essay titled Pozo Moro Child Sacrifice. And the Greek legendary tradition, stating the relief depicts a banquet prepared for a monster that sits facing right in the left part of the image. The monster has a human body and two heads, one above the other. The heads have open mouths with lolling tongues. In its left hand, it holds the rear leg of a supine pig lying on a banquet table in front of it. In its right hand, it holds a bowl. Just over the rim of the bull can be seen the head and feet of a small person. In the background, a figure in a long garment raises a bull in a gesture of offering. Opposite the monster is the mutilated image of a third figure. It is standing and raising in its right hand a sword with a curved blade. Its head is in the shape of a bull or horse. Its left hand is touching the head of a second small person in a bull on a second table or a tripod near the banquet table. The monument is strangely unique and not accompanied by text, but it was found in an area that dates to the Phoenician occupation. The Greek myth involving the Minotaur might also have had Phoenician influence. As the story goes, the Athenians were required to send young people to be sacrificed to the Minotaur as punishment for their killing of King Minos' son. Minos was the son of Europa, the daughter of a Phoenician king. The Minotaur might have been influenced by another Greek tale involving the mythical creature Talos. Talos was said to have been an artificial being created by the gods to protect Crete. He was made of brass and would sometimes heat himself upon a fire before smothering his sacrificial victims to a fiery death. Some sources mention that he was sometimes depicted as a man with a bull's head. The ancient Middle and Near Eastern religious institutions performed various human sacrifice rituals involving bull imagery and fire. Along with the myths of Talos and the Minotaur, there is also a tale recounted by the Roman writer Ovid of people who were called the Seraste, the horned people. They were condemned by the goddess Venus and turned into bulls for their grotesque practices of child sacrifice. This tale might have been more than just fiction. In Cyprus, scholars such as professor and writer Sean O'Brim have found bull mask once belonging to priests who might have been practicing child sacrifice. O'Brim has concluded that the mask originated within the Levant, where figurines of bull masked men have been found. All these strange occurrences of bullfire centered sacrifices might have been spawned from the Canaanite mythologies involving El and his son. Esteemed professor and Hebrew scholar John D. Levinson compared the mulk sacrifice and El's frequent sacrificing of his son within Canaanite mythology. As Rudin explains in his paper, the chief god El, in a moment of crisis, hands over one of his children for enslavement or death. In the end, El rejoices when his child is freed or resurrected. The pattern is present in the fragmentary Ugaritic text, usually called Baal. In it, El turns his son Baal, first over to the sea god Yam, as a slave. But Baal defeats Yam and is saved. Later in the text, Baal defeated Mot, that is, death, dies, and is then resurrected when his sister, Anat, Rescues him. Levinson believes that Baal's enslavement and death are equivalent actions, both of which involve the temporary loss of a son who will later be restored. He furthermore believes that West Semitic child sacrifice was viewed as an imitation of El's jester in turning over his child. As mentioned, Rudin continues that El was frequently depicted as a bull. With that, scholars like Levinson have concluded. That the rudimentary rituals involving a bull, fire, and child sacrifice were strange reenactments of the process their god El had to undergo. These accompanying images would later transform into the archetype of Hell, where we find a horned beast, fire, and endless sacrifice, as sinners are eternally punished. Hell itself is based on the very location where Moloch's sacrifices took place. The Bible refers to a valley called Gehenna, where Moloch sacrifices were conducted. This valley was the primary metaphorical reference Jesus used to describe the afterlife for sinners. The word hell was never used in the Bible. Whenever speaking about hell, Jesus specifically used the word Gehenna. Like the children of the Moloch priest, sinners, too, would be destroyed in a similar manner. L. Kronos And Saturn, all of whom scholars have concluded to be the same, only altered according to culture, were deities who sacrificed or murdered their children. Being that Yahweh, the god of the Jews, was a further rendition of El and the previous archetypal gods of ancient Mesopotamia, we can see now that Yahweh was invariably performing a Moloch sacrifice in front of the entire world when he, too, sacrificed his one and only begotten son.